we've been talking about follow me and kind of <laughs> Jesus's ideas and thoughts on what it means to have a relationship with him and what it looks like to, to really follow the Father. And where we are today is we're going to be in Matthew 13. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, this is probably the only scripture I'm going to have you guys turn to. That being said, I'm going to throw out a lot of scriptures and I'll probably paraphrase them or just shortly put them out there so that we are not here all day. Uh, I know a lot of folks want to spend some time with their dad. And um, so kind of the background of chapter 13, what's happening is uh, Jesus has got a crowd following him and he decides to get in a boat because there was a boat nearby and they're on the water. He gets in the boat and he starts teaching. He starts teaching in parables. And so this was kind of a new thing for him. And um, he talks about in there about how it's fulfilling prophecy and how, um, you know, he was meant to do that. And then after a while of teaching, he dismisses everybody and they go into the house. So apparently there was a house right there. And the disciples are like, all right, now tell us what you were talking about, because we didn't really understand what you're saying. And so he goes into to talking to his disciples and begins explaining things to them. And after he's explained those parables, he begins to tell his disciples some new parables. And that's where we will start there in 13. Um, and we'll be in 44 through 46. And before we go there, uh, who, can, who can tell me what a parable actually is? Because I think that's a good thing for us to kind of have in our heads. Does anybody know? Sure. Linda, go for it. A story, wherever you tell people how it goes, you, you, like whatever, you know, like a flower, how can you say what a flower is unless you show them what, they, what it is? Okay. Good thought. Alfreda, what do you have? Well, Jesus used parables to be able to demonstrate a true meaning that he had but he placed it in a, I always like to look at things almost like analogies, but they're not quite analogies. They're more um, deeper stories that have a deeper meaning, but that he's using a parallel type of story to, to represent something else. So, so let me tell you this. The Greek, if I can pronounce this right, is paraboli, okay? And para means cast, and boli means beside. So what he's doing is he takes a simple story, something that they would understand, something common, and he would use that to cast beside a more, uh, an unfamiliar idea or something that he's trying to get the point across. Very similar to what you're saying there. So the word uh, parable means cast beside, and so he takes this simple idea that people would understand to describe this unfamiliar idea that he's trying to get across. So he used something familiar. So how is a how is a parable interpreted? That's also a good thing to understand before we start talking about parables. Uh, anybody have an idea about that one? Yeah, well, I mean, do you just take it for value? Or what, what's, how do you interpret it? I think it? there's typically like one, one lesson to take away from it. Like mm -hmm. Sparrows in a tree, and it's like an analogy for support. I don't think we're each supposed to choose which sparrow we are and which angle the sun's at, and like 
overanalyze every little detail of the story. Yes, that is, that's perfect. Each parable has a specific point, and there, there's one point he's trying to make. And some features of that story make the point, and other pieces of that, the, the story are just there to help the story flow and to make it vivid and understandable. You know, um, this, these parables can't mean to us what they didn't mean to the people he was telling them to. And sometimes these stories don't feel super familiar because we're not farmers and we're not, you know, we don't understand their customs all the time. So we got to kind of do a little research. Um, but it can't mean to us what it didn't mean to them. And um, not every part of the story has some deep, unrevealed meaning that we've got to dig out of it. You know, uh, just like you were saying, the, the birds don't always mean something, and the sun in this place doesn't always mean something. He's just telling a story. So, that being said, let's hop in. And I want us, as we begin to read this, I want us to view what we're reading through the eyes of this is the good news. Okay? As the whole talk today, I'm going to go back to this is the good news. All right? Because it doesn't always feel like the good news. So, Let's uh, read here in 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Okay, so I just want to open it up real quick. What are your first thoughts about this passage? What are the things that kind of jump out at you? Go for it. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, yes. That is, actually this whole chapter here are the parables of the kingdom of heaven. So all the ones that he shares in 13 all kind of are linked. He's trying to explain to us how to get to the kingdom of heaven, how, what it's going to be like and kind of some ideas about God's kingdom. That's a, that's a very good thought. Throw out everything so that if you, you know, we want the kingdom of heaven and we want to see it. So if you can't do that, you can't clear the stuff out, just imagine that you have. Okay, good. Good, good, good. What are you thinking? It's, it's just an all-in thing. Like, they were, you know, totally committed to it that, to the point where they, you know, sold everything and in whatever it was that they wanted, so it's it's something that you just gotta be like wholeheartedly committed to. Okay. Okay. I was just thinking it must be worth a lot, you know, to be be willing to get rid of everything else for it. Awesome. All right. I always just think about the parable itself and just how it's kinda odd that the guy would rebury the treasure mm-hmm. and then go and sell the thing by when I just take it. Just take it you know? mm-hmm. Right. Well, actually, about that, I was doing some research on this, and it was kind of the custom. What would happen back in the day is they didn't have banks and they didn't have um, safe places to carry their, their wealth. So a lot of people, just like down here in the South, would go and bury their money in jars and in cases and that kind of thing. And that was like a really common thing to do. But what would happen is people would end up dying and never dig up this stuff. So you have people that own these fields and you have people that are either just passing through or you have people that uh, are working the field and stumble upon this this treasure. 
So obviously, if I've got a case, you know, it was like commonplace for people to go, and if they found something like that, to go hide it again and then go get enough money to buy that field so they could own the field that had the treasure in it. And that was like a common thing, and that's kind of what people would hear back in the day when they were hearing this story because that was, that was like a common thing, and people were like, this was kind of like winning the lottery type thing. People, this would happen to people, and they would get excited about these kind of stories happening. So that's a good thought. I want to I break this down a little bit. So I think the most important thing in here is the treasure, all right? And finding out what is the actual treasure in this parable. What is Jesus saying the treasure is? And what's interesting here is there are a treasure, there are two short stories. And the, the differences, I guess it's better to start with the differences because there's fewer differences than there are similarities. And one, you had somebody that stumbled upon the treasure. And the second one, you had somebody looking for it. Okay? And so... That, I mean, that, that makes sense. You have one person that, wow, they, they tripped over it, and they're like, oh, this is awesome. And then you had someone who was searching and searching and searching, and when he finally found it, he said, okay, now let me buy it, you know. Um, so what is the treasure? And I think for, for myself and for a lot of us, the things that I can go to first is the treasure is the church. The treasure is, you know, the peace that we get through having a relationship with God. It's, uh, you know, it, it's grace, it's mercy, it's understanding, it's blessing from God. And I think what it is, is it's God himself. The treasure is God. And, and that's it, because we, we get all of those blessings, all of those things from God. If, it, if it's faith or the church, all those things actually lead back to God. And, and I believe that Jesus is telling the story that some people are looking for God, and when they find him, they, in their joy, sell everything. And then other people just stumble upon God. And when they find it, they realize, wow, God's a good thing. You know, I wanted to ask, one of the things we've been talking a lot about is the gospel, the good news. And in this story, God is the good news. He is a treasure, something that we're excited about. These people were excited about finding this thing. And I'm curious, we've been talking about this a lot. What have you guys come to know the gospel to be from what we've been learning here? Uh, the gospel is that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ and that Jesus died for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. Yes, I think what you're saying, I think that is a big chunk of what the gospel is. It is that is like a crucial part. What other, what other thoughts do we have? I would say following Jesus. Mm -hmm. kind of yeah. Here, but, you know, actually. Yeah. You know, doing what Jesus did, imitating Jesus. Yeah. Awesome. Um, just that we get to have new life in Christ and we get to help other people get that as well. Yes, totally. Those are good answers. Go for it. I feel like this is the blueprint of how to follow God and Jesus. The, the blueprint of how to... The gospel is? Yes. Okay. Awesome. And what, what are... Give me a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. What are, um, I mean, I guess it's just what everybody else said. Follow God. 
Cool. <laughs> awesome. I, 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 I have one thing. Yeah. I, I think simply just being a fisherman. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. The, I want to add something to that, though. From the very beginning, God created us to have a relationship with us. And throughout the whole Old Testament, he was trying to have a relationship with his people to the point where he needed to send Jesus to come and do those things. And the, the good news is that God is invested in us. The good news is that he loves us so much and he wants a relationship, a back and forth relationship that he would be willing to give his son for us. And I think a great scripture that we've been talking about recently is Matthew 4, 17. When, uh, when Jesus, the first thing he starts telling us about is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Is that, guys, there's a new king in town. And it's not me, it's not you, it's God. And, and that's the good news. That's the gospel that God is coming and he's here with us. And that's the good news. So knowing that good news, that gives us purpose. And with that purpose, you know, um, our purpose is to know God and to be known by God. That's like, that's what we're here for, is to to know God and to be known by God. Um, In uh, Matthew 4, 17, uh, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 1, 17, um, you know, Paul's prayer there is, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, uh, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In John 10, 14 through 18, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father that our purpose is like to have this deep relationship with God like Jesus has a deep relationship with God. That's why he came is so that we could know God in the same way that he knows God. You know, uh, we, in uh, John 10, 14 through 18, uh, that's what I just said. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, this is the Great Commission. Teach others to know me. That's it. All of it goes back to knowing God, having a deep relationship with him, building that trust there. It all goes back to that. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So follow me, get to know me, and I'll teach you how to help others to know me. It all goes back to know me, know who I am, know what I like, know what I do. Because I want to know those things about you. You know, I want this, I want to, I want to, to know you deeply. And so the whole point of this, the whole treasure is knowing God deeply. That's the treasure, intimately knowing God, having a relationship with Him. And I think some questions to think about are, do we see God as a priceless treasure? If I were to stumble upon God, would I see just the idea of knowing God and having a relationship with Him? Would I, know, would I see that as a priceless treasure? Because that's, I mean, if not, I'm not going to go and sell everything. <laughs> I'm not going to be filled with joy. And, and that, I mean, that's something to consider. And 
Do you still want to buy the field if God is that treasure? Are you still willing to, to sell everything, give up what it takes if, God, if that's the treasure, if that's what you get, that's the end of the rainbow, that, you know, is, is God there and having that relationship with him. So the, the thing here, the other side of that coin is the cost. So you have this guy who stumbles upon God, he stumbles upon this treasure, and filled with joy, seeing that he's found a treasure, leaves joyfully and goes and sells all that he has to buy this, to, to own it. So... In both sides of those stories, there's a cost to be paid for that treasure, for the priceless pearl and for that field. There's a cost. It wasn't free. He didn't just walk up it and take it. It, it had to be paid for. And so I, for me, what I came to the, the realization is that the, the price is ourselves. The price is not necessarily going and selling all our possessions and going um, and, and doing a bunch of churchy things, that's not the cost that Jesus was looking for. The, the cost is all of ourselves, Amen. you know? And that is, that's tough. That's a, that's a big thing. But again, I want us to remember, this is the good news. This is the good news, is that there's a new king in town, and it's not me. And that's the good news, <laughs> And when you say that, the first time you say it, you're like, and it's not me. <laughs> they say, you know, you got to like play it through your head. And it's like, oh, wait, the good news is that it's not me. <laughs> and um, so in Matthew 10, 37, we read this a few weeks ago, Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There is this idea that We've got to give up us, yeah. our, like, holy, all, all of us. Yeah. And that's a, it's expensive, but it's cheap compared to what we're getting. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we, I think what's tough is we don't always see God as a treasure. Knowing God and having a relationship with God as a treasure. So when we're asked to pay that cost, it kind of seems improportionate. It's like, wow, I got to give up all of myself when actually this is the good news is that I get to give up myself to gain this treasure. You know, um, in Matthew, uh, I'm, I'm sorry here. What's, what's interesting here is that, that this was a price that was joyfully paid. And, and I need to, like, I was reading this stuff. I was... I was really convicted because there's, I don't see it like that very often. <laughs> Almost never, you know. It's like, wait, I have to do something that's not my decision or not what I think is easiest or the best way. That's tough. So, so let's look at the big picture here. We've talked about the key elements. You know, we've talked about the treasure, the priceless pearl. We've talked about the cost for it. But what does it mean to actually buy the field? What did Jesus want his disciples to hear from hearing this? this? What was the point he was trying to get across? And so I kind of rewrote it, but in spiritual terms, if I had to rewrite the parable, I put, there's a person that found God and happily gave up all he had and knew to own a relationship with God, to know God. 
And I was like, ooh, okay, that changes the story a little bit there because it, you're taking away kind of the, I understand what treasure is, I understand what paying that stuff, and kind of putting it in a little more spiritual terms. And then the next question I ask myself is, well, okay, what does that mean for me? Because I guess that's the next logical place to go. I put, I must give up myself as I understand myself to have a relationship with God. And so oftentimes I don't feel like I really even understand myself that well. But the idea of, I, I know enough to know I like myself and I want to hold on to what little authority I feel like I have and what, you know, little pride I, I, I have, you know, that because it's kind of funny, I take stands on things and I, I'm like, have this pride in my chest when actually it's like, hey, I'm a mechanic and I live in Pendleton and I'm, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not that, you know, I'm not some high and mighty guy when I look at things. And so, that, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. So what this all reminded me of is when we went back and Jesus said, follow me. The disciples, when they first were confronted with Jesus, they had a decision to make. You know, when Jesus walked up to them and said, follow me, what did they do? At once they left everything and followed him. And so what's interesting here, what's really interesting is he's talking to those same guys. He didn't tell this to the masses. He wasn't telling this to the big crowd. They're in the house, probably having dinner explaining these parables and said, know what, I got something else. I want to remind you of something. Remember when, when you found me for the first time and you left everything? I want to remind you that that's what my kingdom's like. We've got to, we've got to come back and you, we've got to understand this point because we've got to, we can forget that, okay, we've got to leave everything. We've got to leave our, our pride, ourselves, the way we know ourselves, We've got to leave that behind if we want to own a relationship with Jesus. And what's also really interesting is this is, we we can take some encouragement from this because Jesus wasn't putting him down. He wasn't, he was trying to encourage him the same way in the chapter before he was encouraging John the Baptist, who he said was the greatest, you know, who was having some doubts about his, he knew that Jesus was the one, but he's sitting in prison twiddling his thumbs and hearing about stuff. He's like, is Jesus the one? Is he really it? And Jesus said, go tell him what we're doing. Yes, I'm the one. And I think there's times when we need to be reminded of these things. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to do through this parable is remind his disciples that if you truly want to know me, if you want to have this treasure in this life, you're going to have to give it all up. You know, and there, this is about a year into his ministry. You're going to, you haven't given it all up yet. (laughs) You're still going to have to do that. And I think that's the same for us, is that we need to be reminded of the decisions that we've decided to make. Jesus is going to be Lord, so I'm going to give up myself the way I know myself, so that I can own a relationship. So that is is a a, a really, really heavy... (laughs) But the, it's good news. That it, like, it's heavy, but it's the good news. So I really, I, I love this next stuff I'm going to share with you. Uh, 
the results of buying the field. This is like, what do we get out of this? What is the treasure in, in all this? And I was thinking about this, and uh, I came up with three things, all right? Three awesome things that we get. We get taking responsibility, we get unity, and we get peace, all right? And those are good things. So has anyone ever heard of the 80-20 principle? Some people call it the, the power rule or, you know, it, an economist, I think he was French or something, came up with this thing and he noticed that in his garden, 20% of the plants were producing 80% of the crops. And as he made, had that thought, he was looking around and he realized, okay, in the wealth in my town, 20% of the wealth is owned by 80% of the people. And as he looked around, a lot of things fell in this rule. And I think it's something that can apply to us, is that when we, in the church, you have 20% of the people who are doing 80% of the work. And it just kind of falls into place that way, and it's not because people are bad-hearted or don't want to do it. It's just like someone's doing that job. Someone's leading songs, so I can't lead songs. Someone's preaching, so I'm, I can't preach. And someone's putting the communion together, so... Like, those are the only things that we can do as disciples. Uh, but really, the idea of, of taking responsibility, buying the field, is that we own it. So who in here actually owns their home or is like, has a home and you've put down the money and you're paying it off? Yes, right here, right here. So right there, your house is awesome. Um, so with that... There are good things and there are difficult things about owning a house. But I love owning my house. I love where I live. I love the big yard that I have. And I love the rooms in there. And we're putting to, like, I get to make that house exactly how I want it because it's my house. And so right now we're putting together the baby's room. And it is awesome. And what's cool is I'm not asking Patrick what that baby room should be like. It's in my house. I'm putting that baby room together, and it's awesome. That's what's great. I don't have to go to a landlord and say, hey, can I paint the walls in here? You know, it's, no, I just paint the walls when I want to paint them. The other side of that is I got to do the work. You know, if I want the walls in the baby room to be red, then I got to go paint them red. You know, if I want a yard that's nice and clean and mowed, I got to go mow it. Yep. <laughs> And uh, if the dishwasher breaks, I've got to either fix it or pay for someone to come and fix it. So I've got to, in owning that house, I get all the great things that come with it. And responsibility is one of the good things about it. You know, that's how it gets to be the way I want it is because I own it and I take responsibility for it. So how does that translate into the church? You know, we all each individually own our relationship with God. We, we work, you know, when we understand that very first point, that God is the treasure, and my purpose here is to have a, a deep relationship with Him, and then to help other people have a deep relationship with Him, and that cycle goes on and on and on, it's like, I can own that. I don't have to ask permission from somebody to go and love up on someone. I don't have to ask permission to go and do something that is fulfilling the purpose that we're all decided we're going to be a part of, you know? Uh, 
I found some scriptures that I really enjoy here. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, um, we work night and day in order not to be a burden on anyone. That is, these people took responsibility for themselves and, and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to be godly and I'm going to take care of myself. In Galatians 6, 3 through 5, carry your own load. And this is, I'm just summing it up here. Carry your own load and test your own actions. This is, we are capable people. We are smart people. We can go and have a relationship with God that we own, that we can tend to, that we can like thrive in. And and when we each buy into that and say, you know what, I'm going to own my plot. I'm buying my field here. It's like we begin to flourish because it's yours. It's not, you're not trying to live on my land. You're living on your own land. And it's, and it's lush and green and beautiful. But what happens from there is it builds into unity. When we, when we all take responsibility in buying our own individual field, it builds unity. Because what we are here, what the church is, is a network of people who have bought their own plots of land, their own relationships with God. We've come together and said, you know what? Our purpose here is that we're going to, to have a deep relationship with God and do it His way. We have all said, we've all paid the price. We've all you know, decided that I'm giving up on myself. It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus and doing it his way and giving our part to have that relationship. And so what happens is we're able to thrive on our own, but then bring that in here and we all get to work together as a network. In a network, there's not some big hierarchy. It's a web. It's, it's a it's just we're all crossing and we, we work together to get to that same point. You know, in Acts 2, 42 uh, through 47, we love this scripture. It says they devoted themselves. And I love this because I've never thought about this. It says they, the collective, devoted themselves. You know, they, a group of individual devotion. You know, they all came together and said, I've made the decision. As for my house, we'll serve the Lord. As for your house, we'll serve the Lord. And you know what? We're all doing that. Let's come together and get together. Let's talk about it. Let's help each other out. Let's move towards that goal together. And it's part of God's plan. That's part of the treasure that we get is this unity. In Galatians 6.2, which is right before the carry your own load, it says, carry each other's burdens. Until we carry our own, there's no way that we can carry somebody else's burdens. We've got to start with ourselves so that we can build the network, build the community where we're helping each other. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 20, individually baptized by one spirit to form one body. So we are an ever-growing body where we're always pulling up willing to pull up another chair to the table. You know, we are, we are a body where each individual person made a decision on their own, and now we come together and we build something that's bigger than ourselves. And, and that's awesome. There's no, there, there's no competition in here because I own myself and I own my actions. And in that same scripture uh, in Galatians 6, it talks about not comparing yourselves to other people. 
He said, we gotta, we got to carry each other's load, carry our own load, and look at what we're doing. And that's what we can own. We can own what I'm doing and, and move on from there. And so once we, that unity is built, then we, we have peace. And I think of a week or so ago, we read this in Matthew 12, 28. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If we don't decide to own this relationship, we'll never find peace. We'll never truly get what we were actually looking for in this life. You know, when we stumbled upon Jesus for the first time, we were looking for peace. We were looking for hope, for purpose. These things, if we don't first buy that field, we don't get to end up with that final thing, peace. And and that's what he's calling us to. He's like, hey, my yoke is light. You're going to have to put that yoke on. There's a cost to this, but it's light. And I'm going to give you some rest. It's not what you think it is. And then in Acts 2, 45 through 47, again, we know this. They sold their possessions and property and property and distributed it, uh, the proceeds to all, as anyone had need. The network begins to care for itself in the name of Jesus. You know, we begin to be in a place where, okay, I've taken care of myself, and I'm in a place where I can take care of other people. I can, I can, I can look out for the people around me, and what that does is that brings peace to us all because we know, hey, in my dark times, and the times where I need to be reminded, and the things, I've got a group of people around me who are willing to to sacrifice for me, who have my back. And, and I don't have to be perfect, but we're here together as a network of believers. And there's, Jesus has given us peace in the church because of that fact. But again, it goes back to the very beginning. If we're not willing to pay the cost to have that relationship with Jesus on an individual basis, we never get to end up in that realm of peace. And... And it's a beautiful thing. So I want to end us with some, some final thoughts here. Our relationship with God is going to look however we decide we want it to look. And that's part of owning it. It's, it's going to look what you want it to, to be like. And that's a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Um, but the thing to remember is that the gospel that we believe to... I'm sorry, the gospel that we believe determines the disciples that we become. So if we don't believe the real gospel, then we won't ever become real disciples. And uh, with that, when we decide to do it our own way, if we don't fully let go of ourselves and we're trying to hold on and do it our way, the truth of the matter is we don't have peace we don't have unity, and we have no responsibility. And that last one, you're like, yeah, that's kind of nice. I don't have any responsibility. You know, that can be, you know, you, you might see that as a good thing, but that's a, responsibility is a blessing from God. When we think about the, uh, the, the parable of the talents, you know, the ones who, who were given responsibility, they were given more. The one who was stingy and hid what their, the talent, that was taken away from them. 
Responsibility is a good thing and a blessing from God. It's just got to be used in the right way. So I want us to remember that first point is so, so crucial. If, if we don't see God as the treasure, the price will never be worth paying. And that we can own a lot of things that look shiny, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth or God. And, uh, and lastly, there is a real need for disciples to take ownership of their relationship with God, to make the decision, I'm going to own it. Not to merely come and be consumers on Sundays and Wednesdays and take and to be filled when it's convenient, but to actually own it, to take the responsibility, to, to be dedicated to the unity and to gain the peace of Jesus. So, guys, let's, uh, let's buy in and buy the field.